Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson bringing to you this week, well, a lot of news from the United States, but I'm going to start with a quick update about Hungary and Brazil, uh, both of which are countries that are currently run by right-wing figures, uh, Jair Bolsonaro and Viktor Orban, and both of which are facing elections this coming year. Now, previously, those leaders looked like they were in for a pretty tough time in these elections, but uh, actually recent polls have shown that they are gaining on their opposition. Bolsonaro is actually now polling neck and neck with his opponent, uh, Lula de Silva, in the first round of the presidential election, although it looks extremely likely that Lula will beat him in a second round. Comparatively, in Hungary, things are a little more complicated, partly because Hungary is a parliamentary system, and the Fidesz party of Viktor Orban is running against a united opposition uh, that is uniting everybody from the also right-wing Jobbik party in Hungary to um, actually leftist parties that are in a coalition with Jobbik in an attempt to unseat Fidesz. Moving on to news in the United States, there is a trucker convoy being organized in the United States uh, along the same lines as the Canadian Freedom Convoy. This has already begun. They left California today, uh, when I'm recording this, that is Wednesday, February the 23rd, and are on their way to D.C., uh, they plan to disrupt traffic across the country and in the capital in a very similar way to the way that they did in Canada. I mean, you know, these are different actors, but in the same vein of the plan. However, in the United States, the National Guard has already been deployed and the government is already looking into the possible disruptions that this might bring to the capital. So they're a little bit less likely to be able to achieve their goal of like really fully disrupting how the country is working and especially how the capital is working. Continuing on to shitty news coming from, well, in general, the South in the United States, the governor of Texas, Abbott, has issued uh, the equivalent of a gubernatorial executive order. Uh, this reporting is coming from the Dallas Morning News. Specifically, this order directs state agencies in Texas to investigate uh, gender affirmation surgery and those providing it, and also gender affirmation care and those providing it uh, specifically to minors, um, and to investigate them as potentially participating in what he claims is child abuse. Now, this is a part of a larger um, campaign across the right wing in, well, not just the United States, across the world, to define gender affirmation and um, gender affirming practices, especially for minors, as child abuse. Uh, it's an attempt to reframe the debate around trans rights uh, on the ground of something that the right wing feels a lot more comfortable with, uh, you know, criminality. Specifically, Abbott's order says that these state agencies need to investigate doctors, therapists, teachers, and parents um, for potential criminal prosecution uh, for not reporting this supposed child abuse. It's still unclear about exactly what will come of this, but policing sex and gender is, if you know anything about the right wing or have experienced this particular type of oppression yourself, it's, it, it's very inherent to what the right wing is and what the right wing does. The right wing is incredibly invested in the maintenance of gender hierarchy, and in the maintenance of sexual hierarchy. It's, it's an inherent part of its expression in essentially every case uh, that has ever existed in the West. 
Moving on to a D.C. police lieutenant, uh, his name is Lamond, uh, involved in the intelligence branch of the D.C. Metropolitan Police, is apparently involved with the Proud Boys. Uh, this reporting is coming from a lot of sources, but the information itself is coming from Enrique Tario, who used to be the national leader of the Proud Boys as an organization. However, uh, he, have, he was arrested Shortly before the attempted coup on January 6th last year, he was arrested in December of 2020. And Tario is saying that he and Lamond were in contact with one another, talking about where the Proud Boys were going to, you know, quote unquote, deploy themselves during various activities in the capital. And also that Lamond, in turn, would tell Tario exactly where leftist protesters were going to be so that the Proud Boys could confront them. Now, this kind of cooperation, like just direct cooperation between the security personnel, that is Lamond, a member of the police department, and Tario, who was the leader of the largest fascist organization in the United States at the time, is no surprise. That's exactly how fascism works and precisely what it does. Moving on to other fascist organizations, a fascist group it has interrupted a, well, a reading group in Rhode Island. Now, this report is coming from the New York Times. This reading group uh, gathered at a, you know, at a community leftist bookstore library type location for uh, a reading of the Communist Manifesto on the 174th anniversary of its publication. The Nazis showed up, there, there were several dozen of them, uh, chanting slogans, uh, chanting racist slogans in particular, uh, trying to assault people, trying to enter the building. They were making chants that indicate that they might be related to the 131 crew, uh, a neo-Nazi organization which is openly white supremacist, anti-Semitic, uh, it's just like an, an actually neo-Nazi organization, as opposed to the Proud Boys, who are themselves a fascist organization, but don't like openly say, yes, we are fascists. Yes, we are neo-Nazis. You know, there, there's a little bit of a difference there. Another story in the, you know, ongoing reporting around Trump's engagement with the investigation of his presidency and also of his involvement in the attempted coup last year uh, is that the National Archives Department, which controls and regulates the storage and maintenance and classification and declassification of presidential documents, has found that the Trump administration relocated a lot of sensitive presidential documents to Mar-a-Lago, uh, one of President Trump's uh, private residences. This is uh, super illegal. You are not allowed to do that uh, as a private citizen or as the president. Uh, you have to keep those documents in the reach of the rest of the government so that they can be stored, collated, uh, cataloged, and eventually studied or used by the government uh, in a historical sense. Uh, so this relocation actually potentially opens up somebody, at least, for some criminal prosecution. Moving on to a much more serious story, unfortunately, than the storage of documents in a private residence, uh, there was a deadly shooting in Portland, Oregon last weekend uh, at a protest against police violence. One person was dead and five others were wounded in Rose City Park, uh, which is a neighborhood in Portland, uh, a neighborhood that um, up until last weekend and continuing uh, was a hotbed of protest activity, specifically protests against police violence and specifically police violence against black people. Uh, 
the perpetrator of this shooting, the person who killed this person and injured these others, uh, has turned out to be a very virulently right-wing ideologue person. Uh, it remains unclear whether or not he was personally involved in, as in like a member of, a right-wing organization such as the Proud Boys or the Three Percenters or something like that. Um, but we do now know, based on the evidence of what he said at this confrontation when he shot these people, and also based on the testimony of his family, his roommate, um, his brother, other people that he knew, uh, that he hated liberals, communists, uh, minorities. Uh, this was his ideology. He was a right-winger, and he came to a protest against police violence in order to kill people. Uh, when he confronted his eventual victims, he called them terrorists, despite the fact that the people that he actually confronted and the people he actually shot were, in fact, not the protesters themselves, but rather were part of a volunteer crew to try to redirect traffic around the protest confrontation, um, specifically in order to prevent people from accidentally getting caught in the kind of right-wing violence that he himself perpetrated. Uh, it's, a, it, it's extremely disgusting and very tragic. Finally, concluding with something that hasn't happened yet, but which is going to happen later, the America First Political Action Committee will be meeting this Friday. Now, the AFPAC, the American First Political Action Committee, is run by Nick Fuentes, who is the leader of the Groiper movement, uh, which is the current ascendant iteration of the alt-right, uh, the sort of neo-fascist movement operative in the United States. Fuentes is a, well, he's an ideologue. He's a public intellectual of a fascist variety. He puts out videos, blogs, other media content uh, about his right-wing positions. Uh, initially, he was kept at arm's length, by mainstream conservatives, uh, not the least because of his just very open vitriol and anger towards a lot of other people in right-wing circles, uh, which he accused of being too moderate, or whom he accused of being Jewish, uh, because Fuentes is an open anti-Semite. However, this organization, run by this open anti-Semite and very blatant fascist, is getting a lot more engagement from, well, the mainstream right in the United States. It's a showier, further right-wing uh, CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Committee, uh, which remains the showcase of mainstream and therefore increasingly right-wing conservatism in the United States. The GOP crossovers uh, that are featuring in AFPAC this week include Paul Gosar. No surprise, he's one of the constant figures in the overlap between the extreme right and the Republican Party these days, another elected official from Arizona, Wendy Rogers, and even a former elected official from Arizona, Joe Arpaio, a former sheriff known for his extremely racially motivated cruelty towards inmates uh, while he was sheriff. The appearance of AFPAC with, like, big-name attendees uh, as a as a pretty blatantly extreme right wing, even blatantly fascist organization, uh, the fact that they are getting elected officials, sitting Republicans, members of Congress to appear at their events means that again realignment is over. The Republican Party is working with fascist elements. It is moving itself in this direction. It acknowledges the fact that these people maybe can't be members of the Republican Party itself but they're fully willing to work with them as allies and fellow travelers on the right wing. 
Finally, going to close out this week, as I do every week, with uh, See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we are going to Argentina, and we're talking about Leopoldo Lugones, an Argentine poet, author, and also a fascist. Lugones was born in Córdoba to a well-off family. Uh, he pursued uh, his education very seriously and was educated in elite Catholic institutions in the interior of Argentina in and around the city and province of Córdoba. He was a journalist initially after school and then moved to Buenos Aires because the candidate whom he had supported as a journalist was elected to the presidency. His career blossomed in Buenos Aires as a prolific author, uh, journalist, essayer, commentator, historian. Um, he was really the picture of a 19th century public intellectual. Uh, if you're more familiar with the United States, uh, you might compare him to someone like Mark Twain, a definitive literary intellectual of his time, uh, genre-defying and also genre-defining. Uh, Lugones was most famous for his poetry and his prose. However, his artistic career never got in the way of his political ideologies, which originally motivated his move to Buenos Aires. Early in life, he was a socialist. Uh, later in his middle age, he became a conservative and finally ended his life, uh, literally, as a fascist. Specifically, uh, Lugones became a supporter of José Félix Uriburu, who was Argentina's first modern dictator, who took power in 1930, deposing the uh, president Irigoyen. Uriburu himself was not necessarily a fascist, although he was willing to work with and um, capitalize upon the presence of elements like that in his um, political circles. Um, and his power, you know, his taking of power in Argentina began decades of political turmoil in that country, uh, which would only will arguably conclude with the restoration of democracy in the 1980s. Lugones, though, was dissatisfied with Uriburu's revolution, or coup, and uh, eventually committed suicide uh, due to political despair and also unrequited love uh, this week in history, February 18th, 1938. So, Lugones, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please share it with friends, family, and comrades. Leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. If you really enjoyed the podcast, please check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism spelled out, all one word. You can get in touch with me at Hist of the Right, that's H-I-S-T of the Right on Twitter, or Fascism15 on Twitter, and you can email me at 15minutesoffascism at gmail.com. All right, I will talk to you next week. Bye.